We just finished the series, The Armor of God. We spent 10 weeks teaching on that, uh, very in-depth. And what's funny about that is as I'm always thinking of where we're going next, you know, and always praying, God, what do you, what do you have next? I will tell you that in the last 12 months, as we've taught through the year, I had eight series lined up in my head of things that I, I felt like we needed to teach on. And the three that we taught on, only one of those was on that list. The other ones were not. We've only done three series. It's been a long year. But it's been good because we really got in-depth into the Word, which is crucial in today's day and age because we do not know our Bibles. We don't know them. We don't understand. And we don't study them. We read them. Sure, we read them. And we read them. It's always in this, this uh, how does this necessarily apply to my life? Which is good. That's part of it. But it's deeper than that because we don't understand the context of which it was written, who it was written to why it was written to them. Why did Paul say the words that he said? All of these different things going on. Which brings us into this time of year, because the thing that we ended with last week was talking about thankfulness, the prayer of thankfulness. And all of the, in Ephesians 6, where it talks about in all prayer and all supplication, and one of them we talked about thankfulness, which going into Thanksgiving makes a lot of sense, right? But we look at our country today, we look at what's going on, and we don't really see thankfulness. And so as I was preparing for this, to be honest with you, this wasn't the direction I was going to go. It's part of the direction I'm going to, we're going to go, because what we're going to do over the next several weeks is we're in the holiday season, right? Thanksgiving, Christmas, the hustle and bustle, all the craziness going on. But we Americans do not appreciate what Christmas means. Because honestly, if you want to dig into the roots of it, all of the stuff that, that involves around Christmas, the trees and the decorating and the presents and all, that's totally, totally pagan, right? This was not from Jesus. He didn't say, hey, throw me a birthday party. He never commanded that, and he definitely never said, take this stuff. That doesn't mean you can't use it. It doesn't mean go home and burn your tree or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. But we need to understand it. What we don't recognize is how important Jesus' birth really was and how that was the, the pinnacle of the world of the time, because these, the, the Israelites have been waiting for thousands of years for the Messiah to show up. And so every one of us can go through our New Testament and say, there's Jesus here, Jesus there, here's what he taught, all of this stuff. But that's after the fact. But most of us can't go through and see the prophecies about his coming and go through there our Old Testament and say, here's Jesus in this part, and here's Jesus in that part. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to go through and we're going to study this fairly in depth. Not super, this is not meant to be any kind of seminary type lesson, but it'll give you appreciation for this time and you will be thankful for the coming Messiah because you will begin to see things that the Israelites dealt with that we're lucky that we only have to read about. We don't have to live with. But the biggest part of all of this, especially this time of year, is thankfulness, not just because of Thanksgiving. Although that's part of it. We need to understand what this is. But we should be thankful at all times, in all things, with what God provides for us. And so we're going to kind of look back a little bit of what this whole Thanksgiving thing is. And why do we even celebrate it? What is it and stuff? And so we're going to go through a little bit of history, but we're going to look at Scripture along the way. Of what, and, and to see what the whole the celebration is all about. What are we thankful for? And so in the process of this, the Lord showed me something very that I'd never seen before in the idea of thankfulness. I'd never seen this before. I'd never heard it taught. The Holy Spirit gave me something that in one sense is mind-blowing, and in another sense is like, well, duh. Okay? I'll get that at the end. But when we look at what, what Thanksgiving is, it, it starts, of course, with the pilgrims, right? They pilgrims, what they, they lived in England, and it was in 1620, and these guys were just ordinary men and women. That's all they were. There was nothing special about them other than they were part of what they called the English Separatist Church. There was this Puritan sect of Christianity in there. Because over there, 
they uh, had this church and state tied together. So they left England, they fled there, and actually went to Holland to escape religious persecution that was going on. They were religious intolerance because there was no other church. It was the church and state that were tied together, and any independent congregation who desired to explore their own faith or their own idea had this different relationship with the Christian God, basically, is what in the mindset that they had. And so it was illegal. They didn't want them doing this stuff. And so it was important to these guys because they did not agree. They saw things in the church, rightfully so. And we're not going to get into all the details of the Church of England that was going on back then. But, but they, they basically did not like what they saw. They wanted to practice their faith independently. This wasn't two separate gods. But there is something special when you study Scripture that the state system was set up and the church system were set up separately because they have separate responsibilities under God. The church influences the state, not the other way around. You hear it a lot today, separation of church and state. That is nowhere in the Constitution. But there's a reason that the kings were never priests. They never crossed paths with, with very few exceptions. Very, very few exceptions. But for the most part, they were separate. They, the priests had their job, and the kings had their job. And they were both ordained and set up by God to do their part. So basically, the separatists, these Puritans, had come to the conclusion that membership in this church was violating any biblical teaching. So they left England and went off to Holland, um, basically trying to escape. And so they did that. They successfully escaped, but they weren't really excited about the Dutch way of life when they went up to Holland. They were disenchanted with it because they see a lot of worldliness. The lifestyle that they saw there was not pleasing to them. And so the opportunity came up to basically head to the New World been discovered, if you will, although there were people here, which is fascinating because I, I just recently read a book about the Indian tribe who discovered Columbus is how they say it. We found him out there floating around, you know, lost and didn't know where to go, so we helped him out. But what was interesting that is this tribe believed in God. And they had an oral tradition. They didn't have anything written. Uh, things like Noah, they called him Nuach, and he built a great canoe. And how all of this, I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And they called him Creator God. And they already had these beliefs that, of course, came from the Holy Spirit. Seek and you will find. You know, there's no, no question about that, that that's possible. But yet they were coming over here to, trans, or to, to bring the church over there. It's even if you read the diaries of Christopher Columbus when he first came over, he said, I feel led by the Holy Spirit to push that direction. I don't know what I'll find, but I know the Holy Spirit's telling me to go. And you and I are all here as a part of that work. So anyway, so basically they wanted to get to a place where they could worship their God, worship God, the Christian. I mean, it wasn't like the Church of England didn't worship God. It was a lot of the practices that they didn't agree with. And so, but they wanted to live in an honorable way, which did not, uh, was not allowed in Holland because of the, uh, all the differences that were going on. And so they, of course, jump on the Mayflower. We know how all this story goes. If you ever sat through any kind of history class, you, you learn that. But there was more than just the Puritans that were on there, these pilgrims. It wasn't just them. There were also other pilgrims that remained loyal to the Church of England, and they were escaping religious persecution. They saw financial opportunities. Being able to go over there, there's all this land there. Somebody's got to own it. Someone's got to work it. And so the one thing that was certain about every person on the ship, whether they were part of the Puritan group or basically just along for the ride, trying to make a new life for themselves, is they shared this fervent and pervasive Protestant faith. And it permeated every aspect of their life. So it wasn't like heathen and believer. They were all believers. They just, it was almost like a denominational thing more than it was anything else. 
And so they made ground on the Plymouth Rock is where they landed December 11, 1620. And so they get there, they're grounded in their faith, and it did not go as planned, right? They suffered the loss of 46 of the original 102 members that were there, but they never lost their faith. They weren't moved by what was happening. They were strong in their faith because they knew God is bigger, God is greater, and we put our faith in Him. And so at the end of the harvest of 1621, the pilgrims decided to celebrate because They've made it and whatnot. The pilgrims brought the religious and the secular customs that came with them from their homeland that they practiced. And so some of these customs was a, the tradition of a secular harvest festival, and it was this traditional um, religious holy day of Thanksgiving is what they would call it. And so they kind of melded those two things together. No matter how they did it, it always had a religious overtone because even the secular side of thing, when we think secular... It means a different thing today than it necessarily did back then. Because the bottom line is everybody believed in God, the God, the one true God. It's just maybe the levels of which you're associated with him. So secular then meant a little something different than secular today, which is basically a blast in the face of God. And so even the secular harvest part, the celebration that did included a religious component, giving thanks to God who provided the harvest. And so in addition to this, the pilgrims also dedicated a day of thanksgiving that was absolutely purely religious. It was all in thanks to God. And so pilgrim Edward Winslow described these thanksgiving celebration. And there's two verses I'm going to read because you can hear the overtones in this. First one is Acts 14, 17. It says, Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, and that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. In Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now keep these in the back of your head as you, we read this first proclamation that he put out. He says, our harvest being gotten in, our governor sent four men on fowling, which is bird hunting, so that we might, after a special manner, rejoice together after we had gathered the fruit of our labors. They four in one day killed as much fowl as served the company almost a week. Came amongst us, and the greatest kings, I can't say this, Massasoit, if I'm saying that right, with some 90 men whom for three days we entertained and feasted. And they went out and killed five deer, which they brought. And although it be not always so plentiful as it was at the time with us, yet by the goodness of God we are far from want. There's no turkey mentioned, no pumpkin pie, no cranberry sauce, right? It was just different. But Thanksgiving was one of these Christian holidays that celebrated. There's really three of them that they really focused on. First of all, they, they followed the Sabbath. Um, they were Puritan. They believed that all believers should follow the Sabbath. The second one was a day of humiliation and fasting, where it's basically a time of solemn prayer, a time of fasting. and some t- It would vary in the amount of days and how they would do it. And then, of course, a day of thanksgiving and praise. And so in these early days, Thanksgiving wasn't celebrated every year on this regular basis, but it was always in a direct response to God's providence. So it wasn't every November that they did it. It was just the fact that whenever the harvest came in, if it was a good and bountiful year, they always gave thanks to God. And so Thanksgiving celebrations followed for many years, and it was a part of the political and corporate life of these larger groups, especially as the colonies grew and formed in this new world, in America, as these things grew. On June 20, 1676, the Governing Council of Charleston met to decide how to best express their thanks to God in a corporate celebration of Thanksgiving. Now, I'll pause there for one second, because these are the things that the secular government today is eliminating. 
I read something recently that there's two college universities in Minnesota that are now teaching that the pilgrims were giving thanksgiving because of the slaughter of 660 Pinot Indians, P-I-N-O-I-T, I'm not sure exactly how you say that, that that's what they were thankful for. It had nothing to do with it. There was a war that went on between those Indians and then two tribes that signed up with, with England and, and came together with them and that went against each other. But it was, that wasn't what was going on. They weren't thankful for this. So all of this nonsense. Anyway, they'd established themselves as this community and they wanted to thank God for it. And so the council unanimously voted and instructed Clerk Edward Rawson to proclaim June 29th as a day of Thanksgiving. I got a picture up there of him too. He's a good looking dude, ain't he? They, they were, I couldn't find a Polaroid, so somebody painted that, I guess. But anyway, but in this, again, you read these things and you see all of the scripture. So here's a couple of them that you're going to hear the overtones in this. It's Habakkuk 3 2. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years, and in the midst of the years make known. In wrath, remember mercy. And another one, Psalm 22, 23. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye, the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All ye, the seed of Israel. And so, Ross, in representing the Christian beliefs that these people had, wrote this as the proclamation that June 29th was the day of Thanksgiving. And this is a long one. The Holy God, having by a long and continual series of afflictive dispensations in and by the present war with the heathen natives of this land, written and brought to pass bitter things against His own covenant people in this wilderness, yet so that we evidently discern that in the midst of His judgment He hath remembered mercy, having remembered His footstool in the day of His sore displeasure against us for our sins, with many singular intimations of His fatherly compassion and regard, reserving many of our towns in desolation threatened and attempted by the enemy in giving us especially of late with many of our confederates many signal advantages against them without such disadvantage to ourselves as formerly we have been sensible of if it be the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed it certainly bespeaks our positive thankfulness when our enemies are in many measure disappointed or destroyed and fearing the Lord should take notice under so many intimations of his returning mercy we should be found in insensible people as not standing before him with thanksgiving as well as lading him with our complaints in the time of pressing affliction the council has thought meet to appoint and set apart the 29th day of this instant June as a day of solemn thanksgiving and praise to God for such his goodness and favor many particulars of which mercy might be instanced but we doubt not those who are sensible of God's affliction having been as diligent to espy him turning to us and that the Lord may behold us as people offering praise and therefore or thereby glorifying him the council doth commend it to the respective ministers elders and people of this jurisdiction solemnly and seriously to keep the same beseeching that being persuaded by the mercies of God we may all even with this whole people offer up our bodies and souls as a living and acceptable service unto God by Jesus Christ as a mouthful could you imagine reading that in the paper today? What is, what's he saying? It's because of God. No matter the wars, no matter all the things that are going on, it's because of God that we are here, and it's to God that we will give thanks. And they were decreeing that every person will do this. You see, Thanksgiving for them wasn't just a time to get together, hang out, and watch football. It was a time to give thanks and praise to God. If you study the feast that were back in the Old Testament... 
All of these things were giving thanks and adoration to God for something incredible that He did. And that has been lost in translation with our culture because we are not thankful. We say we are, but we are not. The founding fathers of our country embraced and affirmed the notion that God was ultimately responsible for our provision and our success. And that is why the first founders and presidents, they all affirmed this Thanksgiving celebration. All of them, the original 13 colonies, joined together in October of 1777 to celebrate their first joint Thanksgiving holiday. It was a lot like the occasional pilgrim Thanksgiving following an act of God's provision, but in this case, the colonies were thanking God for their recent victory over the British at Saratoga. So national celebrations of Thanksgiving didn't end here. It wasn't just during the wartime, it was after that as well, and they continued throughout the first years of our national history. In fact, they were endorsed by the federal government, which is the crazy part, which in turn affirmed the role of God that he played in providing for his people. And George Washington proclaimed a national day of Thanksgiving in 1789. And once again, you're going to hear all of these Bible verses in here without actually specifically saying them. So the first one is Psalm 145, verses 14 through 16. It says, Jehovah upholdeth all that fall and raises up all those that are bowed down. The eyes of all wait for thee, and thou givest them their food in due season. Thou openest thy hand and satisfieth the desire of every, every living thing. These are all King James, if you couldn't pick up on that. Hebrews 13, 8 is another one. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. In Psalm twenty two twenty eight, For the kingdom is the Lord's, and He is the governor among the nations. They're putting all these together. But you can hear in this, as I read this, keep those in the back of your mind, and listen to the words that Washington had to say. It says, Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly to implore His protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress have, by their joint committee, requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer. Interesting. To be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many and signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November, next to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being who is the benef beneficent author of all the good that was, that is, or that will be, that we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country previous to their becoming a nation, for the signal and manifold mercies and the favorable interpositions of his providence and conclusion of the late war for the great decree of tranquility, union, and plenty which we have since enjoyed, for the peaceable and rational manner in which we have been established been able to establish constitutions of government for our safety and happiness, and particularly the national one now lately instituted, for the civil and religious liberty with which we are blessed, and the means we have of acquiring and diffusing useful knowledge, and in general, for all the great and various favors which he has been pleased to confer upon us, and also that we may then unite in most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations, and beseech him to pardon our national and other trans 
transgression. To enable us all, whether in public or private station, to perform our several and relative duties properly and punctually, to render our national government a blessing to all the people by constantly being a government of wise, just, and constitutional laws, discreetly and faithfully executed and obeyed, to protect and guide all sovereigns and nations." especially such as shown kindness unto us, and to bless them with good governments, peace, and concord, to promote the knowledge and practice of true religion and virtue and the increase of science among them and us, and generally to grant all of a, unto all mankind such a degree of temporal prosperity as he alone knows to be best, given under my hand at the city of New York the third day of October in the year of our Lord, 1,789, signed George Washington. Man... I mean, that's, that's a sermon to me, right? When I read the words of our founding fathers and the things that they were doing, it excites me because you see that God was at the forefront of everything. George Washington was an incredible man, an incredible leader. And some of the things that he went, the, some of the Indian tribes said the man who cannot be killed is what they called him. Because they would shoot him. They talk about how they had their people in charge aiming at them, shooting at him, and yet they never could hit him. He's on horseback riding around. There's stories out there that they found holes in his coats, and yet no bullet ever hit him. And George Washington knew who he had to be thankful to and what he had to be thankful for. But over the years after this, the nation began to become more and more secular, and there was a popular outcry to continue the holiday. And it was recognized by a number of presidents, but particularly by Abraham Lincoln, and it was in 1863 that he established as a national day of celebration and prayer to be celebrated the last day in November. And so here's just a couple of verses that's in his proclamation, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and we all know this one. For by grace are ye saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's powerful words. Psalm 100, verse 3 through 5. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and now not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth all generations. Now this proclamation is very famous, but it reiterates the Christian themes that George Washington first stated. But this is what you've got to remember. This is in context of the Civil War. This was not a happy time for Mr. Lincoln. This is a bad time, and yet he's proclaiming this. The year that is drawing towards us, towards its close has been filled with the blessing of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. Others have been added, which are so extraordinarily in nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. In the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity, which has sometimes seemed to foreign states to invite and provoke their aggression, peace has been preserved with all nations, order has been maintained, the laws have been respected and obeyed, and harmony was prevailed everywhere except in the theater of military conflict. While that theater has been greatly contracted by the advancing armies and navies of the Union, Needful diversions of wealth and of strength from the fields of peaceful industry to the national defense have not arrested the plow, the shuttle, or the ship. The axe had enlarged the borders of our settlements, and the mines as well of iron and coal as, as of the precious metals have yielded even more abundantly than heretofore. 
Population has steadily increased. Notwithstanding the waste that has been made in the camp, the siege and the battlefield, and the country, rejoicing in the consciousness of augmented strength and vigor, is permitted to expect continuance of years with large increase of freedom. No human counsel hath devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, have nevertheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. And I recommend to them that while offering up the ascriptions justly due to him for such singular deliverances and blessings, they do also with humble penitence for our national perseverance and disobedience, commend to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in the lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged, and fervently implore the interposition of the Almighty Hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as may be consistent with the divine purposes to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. Powerful words, right? Riddled with scripture. I mean, I just gave you a couple. They're, they're, they're in there. And you know how you recognize those? It's because you know your Bible. All of these writings by our, by our founding fathers and our presidents and all of that have scripture all the way through them. Even in the, the early 70s, the LA, Los Angeles of all places called for a day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer. In the 70s, in the midst of the hippie movement, why? Because they had some leadership that still recognized that God was sovereign and God was the only way that we can overcome things. Now, obviously, it's gone a different direction. And the direction of our nation is not exactly the direction that we want to see it. But regardless of how people feel about the Thanksgiving holiday, one thing should be obvious to even most the casual observer of what is going on and anybody who reads history is that Thanksgiving was and is still founded on the Christian notion that we have something to be thankful for, but someone to be thankful to. And that's what the Lord showed me, because I never thought about this before. Because if, you, if you're on Facebook, everybody's like, oh, I'm so thankful for, for my house, for my family, for my cat, for my kids, for food, for my job. Some people are thankful for football. Nebraska fans are thankful football is almost over. But that's besides the point. We had a rough year. But the, what the Lord showed me is like, you can never have something you're thankful for without someone that you're thankful to. And I never thought about that before because the whole nation celebrates this holiday. And its implications are rooted in Christianity, in belief that we have someone to be thankful to. But what they don't realize is that for the things that they're thankful for, they have to be thankful to somebody. It's underlined in that. You may not come out and say, when you're thankful for your house, and for the things that you have, your cars, maybe your checkbook, whatever it is, those are things to be thankful for. But you're thankful to somebody, whether it be your employer or, or whatever. I mean, however you make a living. You're thankful for your family that they come around and whatnot. But still, we're thankful to somebody. I mean, somebody made those babies, right? They had a part to play. I mean, you can't be thankful for something without being thankful to someone, which is the question that I have for you today. Is who are we thankful to? 
for everything. I mean everything. See, we don't think about this stuff. I never thought about this stuff until this week. This wasn't even on my radar for today. This actually, the whole thing that I just read to you was a newspaper article that I wrote, not realizing that it was going into the newspaper the week after Thanksgiving, and so I had to send a different article. But in the process of putting this together, the Holy Spirit said, you can never be thankful for something unless you're thankful to somebody. The two go hand in hand, and yet we leave out the two, and we always talk about the four. We talk about God as if He's our fairy godmother, and we just wait for Him to just pour His blessings on. But the reason that happens is because of His character. See, we can't be thankful for the things that God has provided. We have to be thankful to who He is. The provisions and all the things that are promises from God are simply because of who He is. You know, it's amazing. And, and, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, or maybe last week, I don't remember. But it's amazing that how thankful we are to God when things go our way. Oh, I'm so thankful to God. But we never talk about how thankful we are to God when things are not going well. And yet we just read two very bold proclamations in the middle of troubled times, especially the one by Abraham Lincoln, in the middle of the Civil War. And those words, it's just like we're thankful to Him. And so... Over and over again, we, we see this stuff, and yet we see a nation that, that just loves stuff. Anybody see any news articles about uh, Black Friday? I watched people get in a fight over a $5 waffle maker. I'm like, you got to be kidding. I watched a lady take a vegetable steamer out of the hands of a seven-year-old. <laughs> Who needs to eat vegetables anyway? Just fry them babies. That's, that's, that's God's way. Don't steam them. That's no flavor. That's water. You drink water to survive. Fry them things and pour cheese sauce over them. That's the way God would do it. You know? Amen, right? Hallelujah, preach. Yeah, I hear you. Okay. But anyway, but, but the thing is, is that we're not thankful to God. We're not thankful in the right things. I mean, the truth is, and I'm as guilty as this as anybody, is that when I think of Thanksgiving, I think of, of football, I think of food, I think of family. That's what I think of. You know, never thankful to God. What if we had a day of fasting on our day of Thanksgiving. And we'd be like, oh, that's un-American. <laughs> You're right. Maybe we need to be un-American for a little bit. I mean, not that I'm saying that you have to do this. This is no conviction that I'm putting on your heart. I'm not saying, you know, well, if we're never eating Thanksgiving dinner again, we're going to fast. Don't do that. What I'm saying is we need to give and pay homage to the one who provides us for everything and be thankful to him for who he is, not just what he's done. I mean, I'm thankful that Jesus paid the price for us, that He laid His life down in our place. I'm thankful for that. But you know why He did it? Because of who He is, because He loves us. As an expression of love, He laid down His life because He didn't want eternity to separate us. He wanted to be with us. And so in thinking of all of this, it reminded me of a passage in Deuteronomy 8. Not just a passage, but the whole chapter. The, the Israelites are getting ready. God's preparing them to go into the promised land. Right? They've gone through the 40 years in the wilderness. God's provided. They grumbled all the way along. I mean, if it would have been me, if I'm God in control, they'd have been smited by now. Just shut up. I'll make some new ones. Somebody else is surely better than y'all. But, but He's got them through. He's led them through. And all the stuff that's going on, they're grumbling and complaining. But then He gives them a warning as they get ready to go into the promised land. Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're going to read verse 1. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's 20 verses. 
Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. So you're talking about the promise that he made, but you still got to go in and take it. And you should remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you. To know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now they kept them, but they whined a lot. Verse 3, so he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. In other words, nobody ever heard of manna. This was a new thing. That he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Now that should sound familiar because Jesus said it to Satan, and this is important. It's not the bread that sustains you. It's God. It's me. This is him telling. It's not this. That's just the substance. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. What's chasten mean? It means he gives you a whipping. He pulled a switch, my great-grandma used to do, just for the fun of it. Verse 6, Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, and to fear Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, and that flow out of the valleys and the hills. Why is this important? They're in the desert. Water's good. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and of pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are, of, are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which He has given you. But beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, and His statutes which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full, and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness, in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land, where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with man which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end then you say in your heart my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth and you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you power to get well that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers that it is this day then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, you shall perish, because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. This is God telling them, you're going to go in there and you're going to prosper. Everything that you've been, this 40 years has been miserable. But I've always provided. I've always met every need that you had. I've always taken care of what you needed. I've kept you alive. I've kept you through. And now it's time to go. The land that I promised to your fathers. I didn't even promise it to you. I promised those who came before you. And he's showing them that I am a God who keeps my promises. And he said, you're going to go into this land. You're going to wipe out these people. But when you get there, don't forget about me. Don't forget to be thankful. Don't forget the humbleness that is now in your heart. Don't let that go away. 
Don't forget where you came from. Now apply that to our country today. To the words of our early founders, our early presidents, who reiterated the greatness of God. What do we do today? We don't do any of that. We eat. We watch. We laugh. And we probably pray before our meal. But that's it. We're in a country that's lost its sight. We're the very thing that God warned the Israelites, don't do this. Lean only on me. It's only me that can bring you through. I'm bringing you in. I will continue to sustain you. When you're successful, don't lose sight of me. It's funny that you see this here. And then you see Jesus give the parable of the four soils. And one of those soils, he says that they receive the word with all intent in their heart, but the cares of this world, the desires for riches, snuffs it out. Which is where we are today. We, we, we no longer thank God for everything. And I mean everything. There's something amazing that happens when you realize that God is your provider for all things. That you're thankful to Him for all things. Is you no longer worry. Because if you're worrying about something, that means it's not in God's hands. You don't worry about money. You don't worry about the crops and how they're going to do. You don't worry about the stock market. You don't worry about the economy. You don't even worry who's the president. But we do all the things that we're supposed to do. We work our fields. We don't just stand there and look at them and never do anything and say, oh, God, I hope you bring something in, right? We work our jobs. We do all of those things. We vote wisely, choosing a man of character for our president, for our leaders. We elect godly leaders, if, if, if at all possible. You know, we do all of these things, but we never lose sight of who we're thankful to. You can't be thankful for something without being thankful to something. Sure. Romans one twenty one. Yeah, no, that's a... Romans 1 is the America of this, this time. You're going to figure this out, but I don't have that up on the screen for you. Romans one twenty one. I'm going to read verse 20 through 21. For since the creation of this world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and in their foolish hearts were darkened. It's exactly where we are. We're, we're, we, we're, the church is just as guilty as this, as everybody else. Is it amazing to anybody else that people don't make it to church because it's too early? but yet they're up at 4 a.m. to go Black Friday shopping. Is that, I, I mean, it's just like, how come we can prioritize everything but God? We make all these excuses of why I can't. I can't evangelize. I'm shy. God made me this way, so I don't have to talk to anybody. You know, we make all these excuses of why we can't do stuff. And yet when it's something we want to do, we'll brave an ice storm to go to a Nebraska game, most of us. Pick your other team, whatever you want. But, but I mean, we will, but... We get an inch of snow, oh, I can't go to church today, it's snowy out, you know, it's too cold. Now I understand there are extenuating circumstances, don't get me wrong, and I'm half joking in that, but the point is there, is we don't, we're not thankful to God. We're thankful for the provision, we're thankful for all the stuff, but we treat Him as if He's a proverbial slot machine. We go to God in prayer, we pull the lever, and we hope that it rings up our, our, what we want, and the jackpot hits. That's how we treat God. That's not a relationship. That's something made in movies. That's not a relationship with Him. We have got to be thankful to God. 
His provision follows. But even if it didn't, we're thankful to God. Even if God's promises weren't true, we're thankful to God. Even if everything we have goes away, if this country just dissipates and the economy's in the toilet and we're all living hand to mouth, we're thankful to God. It doesn't matter our houses, our car, any of this stuff, we're thankful to God for everything. 